Welcome to the podcast of Rainbow Family Christian Center with Pastors Horace and Patricia Drumming. We would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you are impacted, inspired, and encouraged by the Word of God. Let's check out today's message. Good morning. Isn't it a great morning? Isn't it a good day? It's a God day. And it's a God day because God thought about every one of us. You know, God looked down through the ages and saw you, saw me, saw us, and died for us. So that we might have what? And have it what? more abundantly. We are so glad to have all of you here with us today, and um, it's just a blessing. You know, this morning, it is a habit for me now to go down to the National Mall. I don't get to stay very long, but it's just so beautiful to see the sun coming up over the Capitol. How many of you know that our government needs prayer? Our nation needs prayer. And it's something about being there. There's a church. It's called uh, Capitol Church out of Virginia. And every uh, resurrection day, they have a service on the mall on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And you are able to just look and stand over that mall and just kind of look. And we have seen so much happening in Israel right now, so much happening in the United States and all around the world. And how many know what we need most in our lives is what? Jesus. And that's why God said he sent his son Jesus, that we might have life. That we might have this, his life more abundantly. And I was sharing with one of the elders this morning as we were standing, and I said, it's just, it renews my hope every time I go there. To know that the world is not in the hand of government. The world is not in the hand of even church leaders. The world is in the hand of Almighty God. The author, the finisher of our faith. And this day is one of the most significant days in all of the world. And especially in a Christian's life. Even this morning, my focus is around three days that change the world. You know, we go back and we look at the fact that there was a good Friday. And this is why we preach uh, Friday night from the perspective, what was so good about it? And we went through many scriptures that show it wasn't, as it were, so good for Jesus and the pain and the suffering. But you and I, goodness and mercy is following us now all the days of our life as we dwell in the presence of God. And so I look at it from this perspective. Good Friday, Silent Saturday, and Resurrection Sunday. And Jesus was doing something in the earth, in an earthly suit, but exchanging it and going back and being seated at the right hand of the Father often think about a story that I'm connected to, and it's a, a little child. I'm eight years old. There's a child that comes 
into our Sunday school class. How many of you can remember Sunday school? The child, through the weekdays, goes to a, what we call a special needs school. But he comes and he's in the midst of the class with all of the other students on Sunday. How many of you know God is no respecter of persons? And I will never forget this particular Easter Sunday, as they call it, and I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. You know, some people ask me, they say, Pastor, is the word Easter in the Bible? And I said, one time. Acts chapter 12, verse 4, and only in the King James Version. And it says, from verse 1 through 4, that basically Herod was really kind of getting a kick out of persecuting the church now. He had whipped some. He had incarcerated some. And now he had what he considered their forefront leader, and that was Peter. This is after the death of Jesus. And, and he said, in that regard, he says, well, he wasn't going to kill Peter until after Easter. All other translations will generally say after Passover. Now, Easter comes from an Anglo-Saxon worship of a god of fertility. It's called Esther. Generally spelled E-O-S-T-E-R. And so, when you find the body of Christ now tending to kind of get a revelation of the fact that it, the word Easter might not have really been connected so much to Jesus as it was to idolatry. And that's why you find so many people now recognizing, I need to recognize this day for what it is. Everybody say, he is risen. He is risen. Say it again, he is risen. He is risen. Resurrection, Resurrection of our Lord. That's what it's all about. Don't let it lose itself in Easter bunnies. I don't know how that got in there. Fertility, I guess. Chocolate eggs. Don't know how that got in there, because that just puts a lot of pounds on you. And God said, lay aside. Right, let, me leave, let me leave that alone. Let me get you back to where I was at eight years old. Don't ask me what my age is now. Just old. So this little boy comes in, and our teacher, Sunday school teacher, has, everybody know those little plastic eggs? The ones you can twist, and it comes into two pieces? And there was nothing in the eggs. Now, that wasn't very exciting for an eight-year-old, for the teacher to give you an egg. It was colorful, but it had nothing in it. And she said to us, we're going outside. And I want all of you to collect something that reflects Resurrection Sunday. And so we went outside and we started to collect things. We brought them back in. After a period of time of being outside, we were all brought back in. And we were to bring to the desk our egg, but something would be in it now. And I can remember one of my closest little friends, his name was Harold. And Harold brought back, he caught a butterfly and put it in his egg. And he opened up and butterflies flew out. Wow. Somebody grabbed a few blades of green grass, and that was nice. And they opened it up. One of the students even put a rock in the thing, in, in, in the little egg. 
And, and, and the young boy who had Down syndrome, his name was Philip. Philip brought his egg. And when the teacher opened it, it was empty. And all the kids began to laugh. Because they thought Philip had gotten it wrong. Because the teacher said, go out and collect something that reminds you of resurrection. And I remember Philip tugging on the teacher's sleeve and saying, I didn't get it wrong. I didn't get it wrong. How many of you know there is an empty tomb? And, and, and after, after a while, we realized Philip got it right. We were putting in and trying to put something in, but the tomb was empty. Jesus was no longer there. Even the angels would say to those that came there, he's not here. Comes out and shout, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive, and he's alive forevermore. Jesus is alive. And in three days, the entire complexity of the world would be changed because of what Jesus would do for humanity. Good Friday, Silent Saturday, and Resurrection Sunday. What a glorious day. You know, this week I couldn't stop playing a song over and over. I'd get up and it just would be in. Anybody ever get up and you got a song that's just going off inside of you? And, and though you might say, well, my voice don't, don't sound that good, but boy, the words of this song gives you power. Somebody say, glorious day. Glorious. Shout it again. Glorious day. Donnie McClurkin sang a song one time, and he changed it because I had heard Glorious Day a lot. My family sang that song a lot, but it was always slow. It just, how many of you know when you're a kid and you go real slow, songs go real slow, you go, ooh, I hope they'd be over with real quick. <laughs> part, of, part of it, you didn't understand what they were saying. You didn't understand enough about the Bible to know how great that was, what they were saying. But and I, I heard Donnie McClurkin sing that song. But can you hear that for me? Maybe you don't need to stand with me because I, I can't preach until I hear this song this morning. Amen? And it's about a glory. How many of you know this is a glorious day? Come on, stand to your feet with me. Come on, uh, lift it up for me. Uh, and let's pray. Carlton Pearson was uh, at, at, at a particular event called Azusa when he sang this song. But it set me free. I finally understood Glorious Day from this rendition. And perhaps you'll understand what a glorious day is from this rendition of it. Amen. Lift it up. Hallelujah. Put your hands together. Put your hands together. Just give God some glory. Hallelujah. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. One day. He's coming back. How many of you know he's coming back? He didn't just rise from the grave, and that was it. He's coming back. Lift it up. Lift it up. He came since far away.
was filled with his praises. One day when sin was as black as could be, that's when Jesus came down to be born of a virgin. That day when they nailed him to die on a tree Oh, suffering anguish Despised and rejected Bearing our sin Sometimes the world is in pursuit of lesser things, but what you need is the power of God. What you need is the Word of God. The Bible says the Word will be a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path, medicine to all of your flesh. You can't do nothing without Jesus. The Bible says apart from Him, you can do nothing. That's why we need God. 
Every day, God is trying to reveal to his people, I'm alive. Call me. You know what the word, you can use it as an acronym, ASK. A-S-K. He says, ask. Won't God give you answers? He says, seek. And won't you be able to find what you need? And he says, knock. Folks, that's, it just makes an acronym, ask. And we need to remember that. We need to ask God. We need to seek God. And you need to come to know God. He can be found for those who are seeking him. And it's not just a Christmas expression. Wise people still seek him. Are you among the wise this morning? Go ahead and sit down for just a moment and let me just preach to you just a little bit. Amen. Glory to God. You know, I heard about a man who accidentally ran over the Easter Bunny. And he killed him. And a lady stopped to help. And she got out of her car and she sprayed a can of some substance all over the bunny. And he said the bunny rabbit got up and hopped five feet, turned and waved, hopped five more feet, and turned and waved. And he repeated this until he was out of sight. And the can, the lady had the can, the can said, Restore to life dead hair adds permanent wave. <laughs> Some of you will get it later. <laughs> this is not about the Easter Bunny. Because I realize that a lot of people's understanding of Resurrection Sunday goes beyond Peter Cottontail, colored eggs, Easter egg hunts, chocolate bunnies, Cadbury eggs, all of these things that are just commercialism. And if you're uncareful, you'll get your eyes off of Jesus. The White House will have a Easter egg roll. But some of us need to realize and keep our minds on the fact that the stone was rolled away. And today, you and I get to celebrate. Today, you and I get to commemorate. Today, you and I get to literally articulate to the world that our Jesus is alive. I don't care how many marshmallow peeps they make, how many plastic grass that you put in a basket, how many new outfits that you were able to acquire. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of a Christian's faith. I like the fact that Paul challenges us, and I would like for you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'd like us to read through verse 3 through 25. That's a lengthy amount of scripture, but it's really significant to today's message. For Paul in it would say, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins. That Christ died for our sins. Very important. He didn't die for his sins. 
He died for our sins according to the scriptures. The next verse will tell us and he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Somebody say according to the scriptures. Do you realize that we're supposed to be living our lives according to the scriptures? This is why the Bible says, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's when you're truly living, you're living based on the word of God. You are pleasing God because the Bible says your faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing what? The word of God. Folks, there's all kinds of theories and philosophies and theocracies and theology, but God said you can't live except by the word of God. So according to the scriptures, in verse 5, it would go on to say to us, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Go on. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles. Paul is very humble here and saying, I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Somebody say that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. See, it's not because of your education. It's not because of your family name. It's not because of all these other things that people think projects them or puts them into high positions. You were lifted up by Jesus. How many of you remember the song, Love Lifted Me? When nothing else could help, love lifted me. And Paul is acknowledging what lifted him. Because Paul was scholarly. And you remember when he was yet still called Saul, he went about, as he just stated here, persecuting the church. Persecuting the church. Until God dealt with him personally. And this is my heart's desire every time I pray, every time I preach, every time we teach, is that God would personally talk with you. I don't ask that your experience be similar to Saul's because Saul was riding on an animal and we know a great light came and he fell and, and, and literally was at a place where he was blinded and, 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 and he said, God said to him, why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you persecuting me? Do you realize that Saul, in his, the state that he was in, was saying, at what time did I ever persecute you? And God said, when you did it unto the least of these, you were doing it unto me. 
you know, I, I wish we had a love meter that we could just check every day and so that God can allow us to see how are we loving? How are we loving God? How are we loving people? Because you know that the Bible said these are the great commandments. What are the great commandments they would say? And God said, love God. Love God. And we know we're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. And he said, the second is like the first, but you need to love your neighbor. Come on, give your neighbor a little gentle hunch and say, I love you. Do you know you need to love people? You need to love people. And, and it's more than in just words, folks. It's more than just words. Love is a choice. This is why I've never bought into the adage that people say, I fell in love. Love is not a pit that you fall in. Love is not something that you fall out of. Love is a choice that you make every day of your life. You have to choose to love God. You have to choose to love people. Well, they did this. Look, did you know that you did something that separates you from God? When all of the world was in sin, all had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, what did God do? Still loved us. Even from the cross, God saying through his son Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. See, Resurrection Sunday, Paul, Paul kind of takes us down through this reminder. And if you know anything about the church at Corinth, man, they had got high and mighty. But Paul came in and said, but you have lost sight of what this is all about. This is why I tell people, most people, even at weddings, they said, oh, I want to read, I want you to have read 1 Corinthians 13. And I said, do you realize that that's a chapter about what not to do? That what you think is love ain't necessarily love in God's book. And he said, you can be doing certain things, giving certain things, offering certain things, but that's not love. Love is what Jesus did. Love is what the Good Samaritan did. Love is being willing to let God change your schedule. Where you could honestly say to God, Lord, I am not on the earth to do my will, but your will. And I find people trying to justify their behavior. Well, I did this because she did this, or he did this, or they did this. The Bible says, do all things heartily as unto the Lord. You're not doing it as unto your wife or unto your husband or unto your children, but as unto God. What shall I render for all of the benefits of God? Shall I not forgive when I've been forgiven? Shall I hold something, hold someone in contempt? You know, judges every now and then say, if you don't shut up, or if you don't straighten up, I will hold you in contempt. God holds none of us in contempt. Who could brag or boast about what we did 
in order to be a child of God. It was all laid on him on Calvary. Jesus was holding back what was coming to kill, steal, and to destroy your life. I often ask myself when I'm looking at pictorials of Calvary, a place called Golgotha, a place of skull is what it means. And having been on a site that they kind of suggest may have been the place where Jesus was crucified, you get to see it because there is this eerie carving within this mountain. And most of us don't even realize it is Mount Moriah. It is that place where Abraham took his son. And there, it would become a place where God would give his son as a sacrifice. And you know that when he took his son up, he was willing to make a sacrifice. How many of you know that Romans 12, 1 and 2 says to you, God doesn't require us to do that exact thing. But he says you need to present your body, what? As a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God because this is your reasonable service. And the correct translation of that, this is your reasonable worship. I don't know you know much about sacrifices, but if you study sacrifices, every sacrifice required a death. So if I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice, Something is dying. How many of you know we're supposed to die to ourselves? We're supposed to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We're no longer to lean to our own understanding on matters, but we are to what? Acknowledge God in all of our ways, and he will direct our path. We are what we are because of the grace of God. Paul said, I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Verse 11 would go on to say, whether then it was I or they. So we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that he is no resurrection of the dead? or that there is no resurrection of the dead. Can you see what's happening now in the Corinthian church? People have gotten so high and mighty that they're saying, well, I, I, I'm not quite sure there was a resurrection of the dead. How many of you remember an article that used to be written in the newspaper and it was called Dear Abby? Dear Abby. And, and people would write Dear Abby, and they would write her various things, and, and, and she would write back and respond. Well, in Christianity Today, it's a magazine called Christianity Today, there is a Dear Eutychus in that one. And in Dear Eutychus, someone wrote, Eutychus, please help me, because my pastor was preaching on Resurrection Sunday. And he said Jesus was not dead. That he was just swooning. 
In other words, he was kind of in a comatose state, just sleeping, just taking a nap. Somebody say, Jesus died. Jesus died. Say it again, Jesus died. And so, Eutychus, interestingly enough, in Christianity today, wrote back because the person signed their note as bewildered. And he said, dear bewildered, this is what you should do. You should take your pastor out and beat him. Repeatedly with a cat of nine tails. You should nail him to a cross with some large nails. You should hang him in the sun for six hours with fluid building up in his lungs, pressing up on his feet, trying to stay alive. You should take your pastor and take a spear and thrust it up into his heart. Embalm him. Put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours. And see for yourself what happens. Will he be swoony? Come on, said Jesus died. See, this is what the Pharisees were attempting to try and do. They were trying to attempt to say, no, his disciples are going to come and steal his body. Do you realize that on Silent Saturday, people were negotiating to make sure that the tomb was sealed? Because they said, he's talked about getting up. He's talked about being raised from the dead. But we are going to start a narrative. How many of you be, have, know you have to be careful with narratives that start? Yeah. I always say, don't watch too much news. Because some of it is just a narrative that they want you to start getting on your lips and in your mind. How many of you know the Bible says you need to know what? The truth. And the truth will then what? Set you free. Keep you free. And whom the sun sets free, the Bible says, they will be what? And so, the religious leaders of that day begged Pilate, seal it. And they did. They rolled a stone in front of it, sealed it. Because they said, we think they're going to come and try to steal the body and pretend that he got up. Jesus got up. Jesus died, Jesus rose. That's what makes these three days so significant in how the world was changed. I don't know about you, but my life has been changed. I am no longer who I used to be. I no longer do or even care to do what I used to do. I no longer care to live like... I used to live. The Bible says, now in him we what? Live, move. And that's how we have our being. How many of you know it's just blessed to live for God? The Bible says, living for God, don't expect the masses to want to do that. Don't expect that everybody's going to jump on the bandwagon with you. 
The Bible said the path that God will call you to, me to, and anyone who will follow him will be straight and it will be narrow. And there will not be a lot of people. And this is why when we get to the book of Revelation, do you know it's God said the, the very elect are going to barely make it in when Jesus comes back. It's a glorious day when he comes back. It's a glorious way to follow him even now. But many people are looking over at what the crowd is doing. Do you know that there are more people at the baseball stadium than there is in the church today? There are more kids on the soccer field than that were around this altar this morning. Because people will say, well, that's what's trending right now. That's what is popular right now. But God is not looking for you to look for popularity. He is looking for you to get clarity. The resurrection is the centerpiece of our faith. A risen Savior is the very thing that separates Christianity from all other religions. You know, I share it with people. I said, I, I, I had opportunity to go to uh, the National Prayer Breakfast. I had opportunity to go from there right over to the White House. This was the time then President Obama. And it was just so funny because I went as a guest of the Israeli embassy. I, I, I share with people, I was in Baltimore, Maryland, and I was at a meeting, and, and you all remember the late Diane Palmer, and Diane was ministering that night, and she was a prophetess, and she came up to me, and I said, oh, she's just messing with me because I'm the only black person up in here. <laughs> and she said, you know, the Lord is going to use you. You're going to meet the president. The president is going to ask you to do some things. And I'm like this with anybody who decides that they feel like they need to prophesy to me. If it's true, if you are a true prophetess, then that's going to have to come to pass. There's nothing I should do to try to make it come to pass. There's nothing. So here I am. I'm traveling now and I'm in Israel preaching in Tel Aviv and, and, and I'm going all over Israel. I, I'm up at Haifa which is the northernmost part of Israel and I'm in the midst of a service there and a young man said to me, he says, you're from the Washington D.C. area and I said, yeah, close proximity. He says, I'm going to be in Washington and I thought, oh my God, he wants to come and preach. I'm sorry, sorry we preachers are like that. Because everywhere you go, somebody always wants to come. And, and, and I don't want people to come just for the sake of coming. I want people to come because they've been called. But God, the Bible says God has set in the church the prophets, the apostles, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers for the equipping of the saints. And I tell people, I know what I'm called to do. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be a teacher. I don't. Step out in the lane and say, I'm a prophet. Not that. I don't step out in the lane and say, I'm an apostle. Not that. It's not that God can't use you in a prophetic way. It's not that God can't use you in an apostolic way. It's not that God can't use you in an evangelistic way. But you have to know what you're called to do. And I kind of put it like this. Stay in your lane. Don't just be asking to go everywhere. 
to preach. Don't just be looking to go everywhere so that you can have a resume that said, I went here, I went there, and I went everywhere. Go where God sends you. Go where God calls you to go. Go where God has equipped you to make a difference. And so it was. The young man there in Harper said, I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. And I'd like to invite you to be my guest. And I said, guest, you know what I'm saying? Guess what? He says, I'm going to the White House, and I want you to come with me. I live here. I live next door to the White House. You know, in a sense. So I said, okay. Took his card, gave him my card. I went down to uh, near the Egyptian border, uh, near the Red Sea. Um, Elod, thank you. I went to Elod, and I met another pastor there. And he said the same thing to me. I would later find out there were six young men, pastors, Messianic Jews, who were coming to Washington, D.C. for the National Prayer Breakfast. And they were going to have an audience with President Obama. All six of them asked me to be their guest. Now, Diane, Baltimore, Maryland, I'm going to take you back there. And I said, I don't want to make this about me, but I wanted to just show you that God is who God says he is. He'll do what he says he will do. And if you're called of God, all those things that you say are of God will come to pass. So Diane said, you are going to go to the White House. You are going to be asked of the president to pray. And you're going to be asked of the president to be on a part of a team. And I'm thinking, yeah, all right. I put that one on the shelf. I went on about my business. It's two years later. I am not in the White House. It is now four years later. I have no invitation to the White House. This comes in year number five. What she spoke to me, five years have elapsed. I'm in Israel five years later, and people are talking about inviting me and being their guest. As a matter of fact, I'm going to just be honest with you. After President Obama's first four years, I didn't think he was going to get a second. Oh, you can admit it, too. I was literally out on a cruise just paying attention to everything that was coming across because, you know, sometimes your cell phones aren't working out there in the middle of the Caribbean. And I'm, I'm actually pleasantly pleasantly surprised that he has won a second term. Now, for all of you who have your hang-ups about him, you have your favorite politician or your favorite political party, I always remind you, don't preach politics. God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. God is God. There are Christian Democrats. There are Christian Republicans. And all that say, Lord, Lord, ain't necessarily so. The Bible says you have the barometer in which you shall know whether or not they are your disciples or disciples of the Lord. He says, by this shall men know that you are my disciples. You have, you have love and there is a fruit 
that's coming and emanating from your life. Folks, everybody that says Christian and everybody that stands up and holds a Bible is not a Christian. And you have to stop getting caught up in the narrative. Get caught up in the spirit. And let the spirit of God guide you. Let the spirit of God direct you. I remember when somebody was asking me, because I served in the military for over 20 years, how do you feel about these young men that are bowing at the time that the national anthem is playing? I said, I don't have no problem with it. Because I knew several Tuskegee Airmen who said, look, we were fighting, we were winning, we were not losing any plane, but when we came back to the base that we were stationed on, the German prisoners were living better than we were. They were eating better. Folks, I'm getting this from the horse's mouth. I'm not just making up something. So I don't always buy in to what somebody tells me I have to do in order to show my loyalty or my patriotism. This is where, when it comes to the things of God, the Bible says, how shall men know that you are his disciples? He said, love is working in your life. Come on, do you realize that on Resurrection Sunday, love is working? Love is what got Jesus up. Love is what gets us up. Love is what keeps us up. Love. Not just buying into a narrative. Getting into the word and the word getting into you. Being able to discern by the spirit. I said, yes, I have I raised my hand consecutive four-year terms. And yes, I knew that at any moment I could be called to go to battle and die. So I had no problem with a Colin Kaepernick. But I did have a problem with trying to create a narrative to bring division and what I felt was hatred. There was a concern about proper and equal treatment. And you all knew that that started when a young man had been killed, brutally beaten. And people are trying to bring some attention and said, why are we so silent about it? Every time I get to the cross, I think about, why didn't somebody speak up? But Jesus said, there would be denial. Matter of fact, the first thing that happens, we know, was what? Betrayal. Judas. Here's somebody that Jesus has laid his life down, and they betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And it don't, it, it, to, to add injury to insult, there is one who has stood up with a lot of verbiage about how, Jesus, I've got your back. The other guys, you know, a lot of times we like to point to people, and I try not to do too much pointing, because somebody said to me, when you do this, how many fingers are pointing back at you? I love Jesus. I, I, I really believe you do. And so it would come to pass, if I can finish that story about Israel and my encounter, it would come, pass, come to pass two days 
after I get back to the U.S., that these folks would be contact contacting me and Secret Service was contacting me. Your name has been submitted and you are supposed to go to the White House and we need to do, and I'm, trust me, I was very familiar with background investigations and you aren't just gonna step in there just for the sake of stepping in there. And you're definitely not gonna get in front of the president and shake his hand without somebody doing something, some type of background on you. And so that process started. But I said that to get you to this place. The first place that we went was to the National Prayer Breakfast. And I guess you, you have to get to a place where you realize that everything that is so-called or has this form of godliness doesn't necessarily reflect God. And here's where my disappointment was. No one, absolutely no one, there are televangelists, there are recording artists, there are a number of different people in that prayer meeting, and no one calls the name of Jesus. Why? Because in that forum, that's not politically correct. In that forum called the National Prayer Breakfast, a Buddhist is there, and who prays, and he can call Buddha. A Muslim is there, and he prays, and he can call on Muhammad. There are people who believe in uh, Confucianism, and they can call on Confucius. Look, Abraham is the founder of Judaism, but he died and was buried. Buddha is the key figure behind Buddhism, but he is dead. Muhammad is the key figure in Islam, but he is dead. Confucius is the key figure in Confucianism, but he is dead. Joseph Smith is the key figure of Mormonism, but he is dead. Hinduism has no single founder, but each of its prominent leaders died, and every one of them are dead. There's only one figure that died and is alive and alive forevermore. And his name is Jesus. And the Bible said, look, wherever you go, you can never be ashamed of Jesus. Some people are going to tell you, if you'll just shut up and not say the name, we'll be all right. All through the book of Acts, there are people who were given the opportunity and said, all you have to do is just shut up. We'll let you live. We'll let you. Folks, it's about calling the name of Jesus and never being ashamed of it. And sometimes you may be persecuted for doing so. You may be, as it were, shut out from the world's invitations, but you will never have the door of heaven shut on you. Because the Bible says when you come, if you were ashamed to say Jesus, he said, I will be ashamed of you. That's why he said many are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And you're going to be talking about your works. But he said, your works don't get you in. It is trusting, believing, confessing, and testifying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God can take you further than you can ever take yourself. God can do better for you than you can ever do for yourself. 
Jesus is alive. He got up from the dead. Here's what I want you to just take home home with you uh, concerning these three days. He came all the way down. You know, there are certain people that they don't. How many of you remember a show? It was called Undercover Boss. It's a TV show of a major corporation where uh, the boss would disguise himself as a level entry worker and come and, and try to find out what's going on. How many of you know Jesus already knew what was going on? And he came down anyway. Jesus already knew that our sin were like scholar. I mean, red, dipped, but yet not dipped in the blood of Jesus. Jesus came all the way down, and it was a voluntary descent. He wasn't made to do it. This is why it's so important for us when we give altar call. You don't shame people. You don't try to make them come. The Bible really is indicating whosoever will, let him make a choice and come. This is why I've shared this with the, in relationship to children. And my wife and I, we love children. And, and we've found that we don't even have to ask a child to come and sit with us or come and hug us. They voluntarily come. And I always say parent, to parents, don't shove your baby up in my arm if they're crying. Because I don't want them to feel like they've got to be forced to love me. It's God. Everybody say love is a choice. And that's how Jesus is. He wants you to know, choose. And this is why back in the Old Testament when it says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. And Joshua said, I'm just going to tell you what me and my house are doing. But I'm not going to try to tell you what you and your house need to be doing. But I suggest that you might want to follow my example. As for me and my house, he said, we're going to do what? We're going to serve the Lord. See, folks, all you have to do is live for Jesus. Someone, I don't know who came up with this expression, but it's a true expression. He says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Say it. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's about how you care for people. And Jesus cared for us. The resurrection is about a God who cared for us. The resurrection is about a God who was dead, who got up. The resurrection is about a God, and over the next 40 days, you really want to go through that timeline after the resurrection. 40 more days, it says Jesus stayed on the earth. You might want to find out what were the particular subject matters that he was so focused on 40 days after his resurrection. I'm glad you asked me for the answer. Everybody say prayer. Prayer. See, some of us know that our grandmothers, our mothers, our fathers were people of prayer. Sometimes when we were kids, say, why do they pray so much? Look, every Sunday night, churches didn't meet in the evening where I grew up at, but we met. I have seven sisters, beautiful girls. The boys used to be scared to come to our house. Because somebody found out if you go to Mr. Drummond's house to go see one of those girls, you're going to be sitting in a prayer meeting. (laughs) Truth. Look, 
Back in my day, I'm telling my age now, young men couldn't just pop up and go to a girl's house anytime, any day. My parents were in agreement that maybe you could come midweek. That was a Wednesday. So you understand the courting process was a Sunday evening? Because if you, Sunday morning, that young man or young lady should be in the house of the Lord. And if you wanted to, you just couldn't help yourself and you had to see her again, it was going to be about midweek. And guess what was happening at our house about midweek? Prayer meeting. I can say this. All of my sisters that married, married godly men. People who love God. Who love God with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their strength. Who love my sisters like Christ loves the church. What was my parents doing? Training. Was it the normal way for society? No. My father was a, stig a stickler for you know, you can play sports, but son, you ain't all that good. <laughs> but God will be good to you. God will take care of you. God will bless you when you come in. God will bless you when you go out. God will bless you in the city. God will bless you in the field. God will bless whatever you put your hands to. How many of you have parents like that that just, just remind you of God? And how much you needed God in your life. Though at the time, we probably were rebelling against it. Sometimes we need to allow ourselves to reflect that our parents weren't as crazy as we thought they were. They really knew what was best for us. Why and how did they discover that? Because they had found Jesus. And they found Jesus was the way. They found Jesus was the truth. They found Jesus was the life. We had looked at the broad way because a lot of people were in that vein. A lot of people were traveling in that particular circle. And many of us longed to be in that circle. But the resurrection is about people who long for Jesus. And I am always in awe of the women who got up. Still today, I believe the church is pretty much like that, where the women get up early. You know, when they were going to the tomb, thoughts came. They said, a stone is there. Who will remove the stone? Do you realize they didn't stop there? They knew that there were obstacles. But they realized, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So they kept moving toward the tomb. They didn't get to a point and said, that's too big. The rock is going to be too big. The obstacles are going to be too many. With God, the Bible says, what shall be impossible with God? Everybody say, with God. With God. Say it again, with God. Yeah. Resurrection Sunday is about people who are going to go seek God and who are going to stay with God because they know that God will wait, make a way out of no way. We were in the inner wall of what, you know, if you've seen pictures of Israel and they, there's a, 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 a particular wall, some refer to it as the wailing wall. 
Some refer to it as the West Wall. But that is an outer wall. Literally, that wall was built by Herod to reinforce the inner wall of the temple that Solomon built. And so that's just a reinforcement wall. So where you see all of the Jewish people with the big hats and so forth, and they are sticking little papers in the wall, that's an outer wall. That's not the original wall of Solomon. There is an inner wall. And we went into the inner wall. And we happened to be, and it was in, in, in the evening, I believe it was, Miss Pat, about probably 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And our tour guide has us in there, and we're looking at this wall, and there's some just huge stones. And there are three architects that happen to be in there, three engineers, rather, that happen to be in there at the same time. And each one of them are saying, just one of these stones, in our modern-day technology, it would take three cranes to lift it. How did they get those stones in place? Anybody that's ever traveled to Egypt and you look at the pyramid, it's like, how did they do this? How many of you know God can make a way out of no way? Ecclesiastes is so beautiful as a book does. It says, there's nothing new under the sun. And folks, this is why you find me constantly saying to people, make sure you know what you're pursuing in life. Matthew 6.33 gives me my compass. What does Matthew 6.33 say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added to you. Anybody ever had a GPS that took you to the wrong location? I was in Delaware. I'll never forget it. The GPS took me to a dead end and said, turn right. There was no right, there was no left. I was at a dead end. Jesus is never going to take you to a path where you can't make a right decision. I feel I need to close at this point. But a classmate of mine from my collegiate days, he always professed to be of a particular religion certain things that he wouldn't do, certain things that he wouldn't eat. And I would learn through another classmate that he'd given his life to Jesus. And I said, I've got to talk to him. Because this was the most disciplined person that I knew at the time about what he believed. And he certainly didn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I got his number, and he was at that time now living in Ohio, I called him. I used email at first, and he did just kind of respond back lightly. And he says, man, I, I, I had no idea where you were at. And he gave me uh, information about where he was. And so I called him. I, I used the phone. I know a lot of you don't like to call on the phone anymore. You just say, text me. My nieces and my nephews, I... I call them, and they don't answer the phone. I text them just seconds later, and they respond back. I don't know what that is all about, you know. But I called him, and here's how he explained his 
relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, he preached to me. He preached to me. Ha- I mean, he preached happy. I, I over about a 15-minute conversation, I, just, I was happy about it. And he says, and I said, how do you explain how you converted from what you were so staunch in to Christianity? And he says, well, I looked at it this way when I started to study a Bible. It's like going down a road and getting to a path where you have to either make a right or a left. And there is somebody that is alive saying, go this way. And there is somebody dead saying, go this way. He says, who would you listen to? Somebody say, Jesus is alive. Listen to him. Listen to him. The Bible says this. If my, when you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. On Resurrection Sunday, I believe that God speaks to a multitude of hearts. The problem is that sometimes we harden our heart. I've been very honest about my own experience with Christianity where I was sitting in the, the pew and I would literally grab a hold to the back of the seat so that I wouldn't get up. That was my crutch. I was at a place where I was under the impression that I was going to have to give up so much to become a Christian. i too ignorant to realize I was going to gain so much that a long time ago I should have become a Christian. So that's why Paul put it in very graphic terms. And he said, when he found Jesus, when he found the Lord, he said everything else in his life he counted as dung. I know that's an expression that we don't use often, but we know what it is. All other things that he had been in pursuit of, in pursuit of lesser things, he counted them to be dung. Folks, giving your life and even coming to the altar is a walk of gain. It is not a walk of loss. And that day that I finally took my hands off the back of the pew so that I could keep myself pressed into my seat was a day of freedom. And I will have to tell you, it was on Resurrection Sunday. And I went home. Couldn't stop crying. See, all of my youth, all of my teenage, even in my young adult life, I was betwixt two places. I was okay doing the world thing, and I was okay doing the God thing. And really the God thing was not really sincere. I was sharing with one of our young sons yesterday. We spent some hours just kind of fellowshipping. And he said, I had a neighbor told me, on Sunday you ought to go to the Wegman. I said, oh, Lord, that's where my wife, wife likes to shop. He said, and he said, he asked his neighbor why. He said, that's where all of the girls are. Folks, you understand, Pastor, get it, get it back. Pastor was so foolish during his younger days that he only went to church. Those, can I see the pretty girls? 
which were the ones that I felt like I could figure out that really wasn't Christian. They were just up there like me. Sinners sitting in the midst of the congregation. Until God got a hold of my life one day. And I went home crying. I went home feeling I got to get this yuck. You understand yucky? And I went home. I, I'll never forget it. I went straight home, got straight in the shower. Just begin to try to bathe and cleanse myself. But how? What do you know? Nothing can cleanse you, but the blood of Jesus. And I'm washing and I'm trying to cleanse myself. And a song just birthed in my 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 spirit. And one that I didn't even know I still remember it. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it, and the world cannot take it away. This joy that I have, and I had joy, and I was trying. There were tears rolling down my eyes. There were water all over me, but I knew that I knew that I knew I needed to tell somebody right away that I was giving my life to Jesus. And I remember calling the pastor and letting him know. And he says, you need to come back. And this was the time, yes, when they would have an a.m. and a p.m. service. And I went back to p.m. service on a resurrection Sunday. And I knew that I knew that my life had been changed. Your life can be changed this very day. Because in three days, through the works of Jesus, the whole world was changed. In three seconds, your life can be changed. Everyone bow your head for just a moment. Ask yourself, do you have a real relationship with Jesus? Christianity is not knowing about Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. You can know about something. You can know about someone. But do you know them? Jesus doesn't want you just to know about him, that he was Mary's baby, that he died on the cross, that he was buried in a tomb, and yes, like we're celebrating that he got up. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's why he got up. That's why he's seated on the right hand of the Father making intercession for you right now. And he wants you to be ready when he comes again. But no one can come to the Father except through the Son. And don't say to me, Pastor, I'll wait. I wait until I get this right, and I wait until I get this right. The Lord opened the door for me to go into a senior facility and start preaching and teaching every Wednesday. So I leave a Bible study here at 12, from 12 to 1, and I immediately leave and go to that senior home, and I teach. And I will never forget. The very first day I was there, an individual peeped in the door. And the words that echoed out of his mouth, I don't have time to come to this meeting today. But I'll try to get there next week. And the sorrowful thing about this is this. Less than 24 hours later, this individual was dead. Struck by a car trying to cross a busy highway. Killed instantly. 
The Wylands used to sing a song, and it was called Tomorrow. Tomorrow. And that was about people who were saying, I don't have time to get this right with God today, but maybe tomorrow. Let me ask you, don't put off what God is putting in your heart to do right now. Why do you think God's pressing you like he did in my day? He was pressing me, but I was pressing against the back of the pew in front of me so that I didn't have to get out. He wasn't going to make me. He was asking me to do what he did for me. Everything God did for you, he did voluntarily. Everything he's going to ask you to do in his name has got to be voluntarily. So I ask and give the invitation now. If you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and you recognize I can and I shouldn't put it off, I want you to slip your hand up right now and say, Pastor, I am one of those people sitting in the midst of this congregation that want to give my life to Jesus Christ right now. If that's you, raise your hand wherever you are, young or old, black or white, red or yellow. It does not matter. God is no respecter of persons. What he wants, what he desires, the scripture tells us is that all men might be saved. Be saved today. Truly celebrate his resurrection by receiving him as your most valued gift. If you know him already, you have asked, and if you are saved, I want you to slip both of your hands up. Why? Because it's a form of surrender. And you've said, God, I have surrendered all to you. All to Jesus I freely give. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my Redeemer. And the scripture says, and the redeemed of the Lord, they don't mind saying something. I belong to the King of Kings. I belong to the Lord of Lords. So Father, as I lift my hands, I pray for any family member. I pray for any co-worker, any neighbor, any person that I am acquainted with that have not yet received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I pray that you would thrust the perfect witness across their path this day, resurrection day, that they may hear the truth and that that truth will set them free. God, I want my family saved. God, I want my neighbors saved. God, I want my co-workers and colleagues and collegiate associates to be saved. I want my high school friends and people that we've known for literally decades to be saved and filled with the knowledge of your will. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Let me challenge you. Start researching what was it like after the resurrection. I, I put it into the form that it was 40 days that Jesus was on the earth, and then Acts chapter 2 tells us that he ascended into heaven, and he had given his disciples an instruction that they should go up. And this is where we get the knowledge of the upper room and the mighty rushing winds and the cloven tongues of fire, and people began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Peter stood up and preached to a multitude of people, and over 3,000 souls were saved 
received on that day. I want you to just kind of take a journey now and try to journal, if it were, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? What did he say to Peter? What did he say to Thomas? What did he say to his disciples in the 40 days before he ascended into the heavens? You're going to find one common thread, and I don't mind giving it to you. You're going to find one common thread, and it's going to be prayer. Because the Bible says the prayer of the righteous. That fervency, that effectualness of prayer is what avails much. Stand to your feet. Greet your neighbor. Now look to God. Now unto him that is able to keep us and to present us faultless before the throne of his amazing grace. To him be all of the glory. To him be all of the praise. To him be all of the thanksgiving. And Father, my life is not my own. I was bought with a price. I had a debt that I could not pay. And Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. I owe it all to him. My liberty, my freedom, everything that he's blessed me with. It did not come from my knowledge because my knowledge is limited. But an unlimited God, an incredible God who is doing incredible things in all of our lives. You were blessed when you came in. Scripture says you will be blessed when you go out. But if you remember how when God sent Abram out blessed, he said, I sent you out blessed, Abram, so that you would be a blessing. Be a blessing. Bless someone's life. Call someone today. Encourage their heart. I wrote my sisters, I wrote my brother, you know, you know, messenger, all those witty inventions, creative ideas that we have. And I just wanted them to know that I loved them. And I wanted them to have a blessed resurrection day. Perhaps you, knew you haven't had a chance to reach out to a brother or sister. You got up early this morning or maybe a little bit late and you haven't had do that. Take some time. But be a blessing in somebody's life. Call somebody. Visit somebody. In the South, where I grew up, Sundays you, you left church and you went straight to people's house to visit them, especially to the older who couldn't get to church anymore. They're too tired, too old, too weary. And we were letting them know that all those years that you sang in the choir, all those years that you preached, all those years that you taught in Sunday school, they were meaningful for our lives. So we went to visit them. Go visit someone. Don't make it all about restaurants. Don't make it all about entertainment. Love on someone. Because God has loved on you. It's in Jesus' name that we send you. Amen. Amen. Happy Resurrection. Those of you who are viewing and live stream, happy Resurrection Day to you. God bless. Thanks again for joining us today. 
Here at Rainbow Family, our mission is to love God, love people, and change the world. If you would like to partner with us in any way, we encourage you to visit our website at rainbowfamilychristian.org.